Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Well, hey everyone and welcome to Flourishing in Isolation, part 18. And we are still here. We are still exploring these uh, prison letters written by Paul under house arrest in Rome. If you are new here, you've come to the wrong week. You need to go right back to the beginning and start again um, and catch up with where we got to. If you have been with us every single week up to this point, you are an absolute hero. You deserve gold stars. Um, Huge thank yous coming your way. It's been great to journey this uh, experience with you. Uh, How things have changed over these last few weeks. What an experience as we've tried to explore these ancient texts of of these prison letters of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and next time we'll be doing Philemon as well. Ask that question, how do we flourish in isolation? And, And in times like this, when we cannot give certainty, we're living in uncertain times, we do not know what the future holds. When we live in uncertainty, what we can give is clarity. And if you remember famously, um, American politician Donald uh, Rumsfeld, he said, we don't know what we don't know. We don't know what we don't know. But at least we are clear that what we don't know. And clarity is really important if you can't get certainty. And sometimes that's where the word of God is so good, because we can go back and say, God, we are confused what the future might be. But we know who holds the future. And we put a trust in you and we discover more of you in the word of God. So let's find out what we have today ahead of us. Last time uh, we learned together uh, from Colossians chapter 3 that Jesus is interested in every single part of your life. That as you set your sights on him, all right, remember Jesus being that central piece to the whole letter of Colossians. As you set your sights on Jesus, then you will choose those right clothes to wear. Remember that analogy of standing in front of your wardrobe in the morning, choosing the clothes. Do I wear the uh, love clothes, the patience or the not taking offence from other people clothing today? What do I wear as I go through my day? Choosing the right clothes. We also said that as we follow Jesus and set our sights on him, we will have a rich life for which we can be thankful And we talk about singing your thanksgiving, to enjoy every moment, to live in the moment. And then lastly, we said, especially when it comes to the workplace, whatever you do, you're doing it unto the Lord. Whether you're in home or in the workplace, whether you are seen and more importantly, when you are unseen. To do all you do for the audience of one, for God himself, who watches you and looks at you and loves you like a father every moment of the day. I would recommend a really good book on that whole concept of the workplace called Fruitfulness on the Frontline by Mark Green and he's written numerous articles and books around this idea of how do we as followers of Christ live out that verse that whatever we do we're doing it unto the Lord in our workplace. We all good? We're ready to go? We've got our Bibles open um, and we are going to dig in for chapter 4 of Colossians. We're going to start at verse 2. Uh, verse 1 probably should have been stuck on the end of chapter 3 and it's one of those very strange bits where it kind of got, you know, the, the, the kind of the chapter got put in the wrong place in some way. So starting at verse 2 says these words, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us 
too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I'll proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Devote yourself to prayer. These are some of his final instructions. As he brings this letter to an end, he goes, get stuck into prayer. Be a praying person. Devote yourself. Give yourself. Commit yourself to praying constantly, consistently, routinely. Uh, Pete Gregg, who uh, just uh, leads the 24-7 prayer movement, a a friend of ours, and is also someone who's just recently re-released his famous book, God on Mute. I just got it through the post this week, and he's rewritten some of it. And... um, Pete will say when he comes to praying, he says, keep it up. Just keep it up. Keep it simple. Keep it going. Keep it up. And it's so important when we come to praying that we create healthy habits and routines. We devote ourselves. We commit ourselves. We make it part of our activity. Choose maybe your daily commute. You're in the car or when you wake up or when you go to bed or when you uh, pause for a meal time to find healthy routines your day to devote yourself to regular prayer. One of the highlights of um, this 2020 pandemic that we are all facing has been our daily prayer as a church. As a church, we have had prayer every single morning for over a hundred days, 60 plus different people contributing. It's been one of the absolute highlights for me personally as a leader of Freedom Church, watching people bring their different experiences, different thoughts, different prayer life into the middle of the church. And we've enjoyed praying together in community, even if it's through a screen like we're doing today. Encourage you to be people of prayer, to spend time communicating with God, praying for those around you. And it's a mutual activity. As as you pray for others, there'll be other people praying for you. Prayer is a gift that we get to be in communion with God, in connection with him, in conversation with him, that as we wrestle with him, and as we discuss with him, and as we laugh with him, we've also got other people who are praying for us and believing the best for us. And that verse four there, I think it's a preacher's verse, they're praying that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Paul is saying, please, will you pray for me? I'm in chains, but pray that I would communicate effectively. I'm writing all these letters. May those letters be really useful. And that would be the prayer of anyone who ever speaks, praying that they would communicate truth. Pray for your preachers, pray for your communicators, pray for the teachers, pray for people in government positions who are trying to communicate truth regularly. Pray for those who communicate. Words are powerful and have great impact. Think of all the famous speeches throughout history that have resonated years after they have been given. Things like men will still say this was their finest hour. Winston Churchill in that famous moment in the Second World War. Or Martin Luther King saying, I have a dream. Straight away, you remember that moment, you remember that story, you remember the impact of those words. Or ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, from John F. Kennedy. Or what about, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus Christ giving his famous Sermon on the Mount. Words are powerful. Pray for those who communicate that they would do so effectively. They would use their words well.
verse 5 says these words, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. To live wisely, to make the most of every opportunity. That's a prayer I've been praying regularly throughout this season of lockdown. When we talk about flourishing in isolation, I don't know what you were like when you started this process, when you were said we've got to isolate ourselves for a season. When as a nation and, and as nations around the world, we said, right, we're going into lockdown. What did you think I'm going to use this time? How am I going to make the most of every opportunity? We're now at 16, 17, 18 weeks in, and I look back and I think, if only I'd have done this differently, how it could have changed things. If I'd have exercised that bit more, if I'd have eaten that bit healthier, if I'd have read those books rather than those books, if I'd have not completed every film on Netflix with my children but done something else with my time instead, how different it could have been. We need to make the most of every opportunity. We are living in incredible times. We've got an opportunity to restart, to rediscover who God's called us to be, to, to, be, to begin again, to start again, to, to become a startup, to be fresh and begin and go, what is it I'm designed and created and made to do? How do I make the best use? And we can either have regret and look back and think, oh, I should have done more with my time over those last few weeks. Or a better question is, what can I change today to make good use of the opportunity I'm faced with right now? It's an ancient Chinese proverb that says, when is the best time to plant a tree? Answer, 20 years ago. When is the second best time to plant a tree? Today. Today is a good day to make the most of every opportunity. Maybe you've missed opportunities, but now is a chance to start again. Be wise what you give your attention and your energy to. You're having this chance to reboot. Don't just carry on as you were. Don't just continue. Don't revert back into bad habits or bad routines. Drop things, let go of things and start something new. Rediscover what is it I'm meant to do? What has God created me to do and to be? And to be wise with those opportunities. To be gracious to others. It says there to, you know, to make the most of every opportunity, but to let your conversation be gracious and attractive. That's an interesting word, isn't it? An attractive conversation. To be careful with our words. It reminds me of the verse in 1 Peter 3 that says, be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are and always with the utmost courtesy. Or in other versions, with gentleness and respect to speak up to tell the story of Jesus anytime you get an opportunity but to do it appropriately to do it with respect to do it with courtesy to do it with gentleness to be prepared to be careful with our words how we speak to people is as important as what we say we say something true but if it's said in such a way it causes hurt or embarrassment it can be actually more unhelpful than if we've said nothing. To learn to think before we speak, something I am still learning myself. 
I am so quick to say something, to jump in with a thought that's still being processed as it comes out of my mouth. That I, I'm an external processor, which sometimes can be frustrating to people on my team as I'm talking out ideas I have. They're not decisions, they're thoughts that I'm just downloading publicly, which is a dangerous game for someone who preaches and communicates regularly, that my thoughts are sometimes still in their kind of fragile early stage and they've already come out of my mouth as a possibility an idea. If only, and I'm still learning, if only I could pause for a little bit longer before I made that comment, I put forward that suggestion, I had that idea. If I just paused, maybe I would have chosen my words more carefully. Maybe I would have said nothing, which would, would have been a better decision. I mean, Proverbs tells us even a fool, if he remains silent, will seem wise. Or as Abraham Lincoln famously said, you know, it's better to seem like a fool and stay silent than to open your mouth and prove them right. We need to be careful with our words. We may want to give correction. We may want to um, point out to someone else that the thing they've said is wrong, but actually what that person needs right now is encouragement, not correction. We may have cause for concern to someone or, or might cause worry for somebody, but right now they don't need more worry or more anxiety. They need someone to get alongside them. They've got enough on their plate as things stand. We may need to use wisdom with our words and our timing as we talk to those we meet. To ask God, God, would you give me wisdom when to speak, who you need to speak to and what to say on that occasion. There's a lot in just those two short verses of five and six. In this last section of chapter four, we're going to start in verse seven. Here we've got really Paul's final greetings. This is he's wrapping up his letter, he's finishing things up. And there's a few names I want to pull out because some of this stuff is quite intriguing. And, and some of those names we're going to capture a little bit more next week. But um, the first of one we're going to see in verse seven is Titius. Titius, that's his name, will give you a full report, he says in verse seven, about how I'm getting along. He is a beloved brother and a faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. Titius is the messenger. Titius is the one that's actually going to um, share this letter with the people in Colossians. Uh, he regularly appears in Paul's letters as a travelling companion. He's there in the book of Acts, he's in the book of Ephesians and Titus and Timothy, as well as here in Colossians. He was a traveller. He travelled a lot with Paul. And Paul refers to him as a brother and a faithful helper. He was part of Paul's ministry gang and they would travel together. He would have read out this letter to the church and then ministered to them. To the church there. He was more than just a reader of letters. Hear that me right. He wasn't just somebody who stood and could just read nicely. He was a minister. Um, he would actually be Paul's spokesperson, speaking on behalf of Paul as his right-hand man. And he would often be the one that would take responsibility for a church in a region. Um, he would probably go in and, and we think he would release, he released Timothy in Ephesus and Titus in Crete. And he was like, like a locum minister. He would go in and take on the church for a season and help out in an apostolic way for a season. 
and, and that was his job. So he was more than just a reader of news and information. Titius was an important companion of Paul. And then he mentions a name which would probably have caused kind of upset to those listening. He then says in verse 9, he says, I'm also sending um, Onesimus. Onesimus, who is a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Titius will tell you everything that's happening here. So Paul has sent Titius from Rome with uh, Onesimus, another faithful and beloved brother, back to Colossae to tell the story of this letter and to answer questions and to minister to people. Now, you might think, well, Onesimus, apart from being a strange name, why is that a big deal? Well, from what we understand, this is the story of this person. It's a huge link to next week when we're going to talk about Philemon. And uh, uh, Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. Philemon was a wealthy owner and he had this slave called Onesimus. And the story goes, Onesimus um, was his slave, but he is on the run. We believe the reasons on the run is for a crime that he either committed or was accused of committing, that he had stolen something of his owner's property. He was a wanted man. He was a, um, he was a slave, he had very few rights. And in fact, he would be owned by Philemon. Philemon would own him as a slave, as a, which makes no sense in our culture, the idea of owning somebody. But he's like a property of Philemon. He was an outcast. He was seen as criminal beneath humanity. But when Onesimus is referred to by Paul here, he's referred to as a faithful and beloved brother. And he then goes on and says, he's one of you. He's one of the church in Colossa. Powerful words to say about somebody who is on the run. Somebody who has who has done, potentially has done a criminal activity, who has run away from his master, which would in itself be a crime, and is on the run and is trying to escape from the, uh, the consequences of his actions. And there's, there's also an understanding, we'll explore a bit more of this next time in Philemon, there's this understanding that Onesimus um, became the bishop of Ephesus, one of the bishops of the church in that time. And, and even today, uh, Onesimus is held by some traditional denominations as a saint. So this character that gets mentioned goes from a slave to an outlaw, to a brother, to a bishop, to a saint. What a progression. But how often do we treat people that way? Paul refers to him as a brother and beloved and faithful. How do we welcome people who have let us down or people who've got a dodgy past, who maybe have made mistakes before, someone who spent time in prison for a crime they committed, do we treat them as a beloved brother or sister? Do we treat them as faithful as one of us? Or do we whisper behind their backs about their past history? How do we treat people? Because Paul is very warm towards Onesimus here. Do we as so often people do, and I've been guilty before, you know, when someone has let us down or disappointed us or done something they probably shouldn't have done, we can subtly push them to the edge of our community. We can just stop talking to them as much as we used to. We won't interact with them, engage with them, text them, get in touch with them like we used to. We maybe be a bit passive aggressive. We say all the right things, but really we're just saying, I don't want anything to do with you. We distance ourselves 
from someone who we once saw as a friend, as part of our family or community. And Paul is saying, don't do that. Onesimus is a faithful and beloved brother, one of us. Treat him likewise. Don't treat him as a slave. Don't treat him as an unnecessary extra. Don't treat him as a property of someone else. Don't treat him as a criminal. Treat him for who he is, someone who loves Jesus and is choosing to follow him. Are we okay so far? Excellent. We've got a few more names coming your way. Verse 10 Uh, We'll carry on with this. Um, I'll try and get this one right. Aristarchus is his name. Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings. And so does Mark, Barnabas's cousin. As you instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, the one we call Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. They are working with me here for the kingdom of God, and what a comfort they have been. Paul may be in prison under house arrest, but he has created a team of active workers, uh, Jews who are with Paul, who are serving Paul, who are following his his directions. And just to explain, although Paul's under house arrest, he's almost like in waiting for his chance to go to trial. He wouldn't have been in prison per se, he would have had a guard on the door, but he would have been able to uh, you know, live at home, have visitors. People would have brought him supplies and uh, updated him with the latest news of the day. And he could then share with them uh, information about what's, what he would like to share with others. And he could write these letters down. And he makes that lovely statement there. Make Mark welcome if he comes your way. It's so important we should be hospitable to one another. And Paul is so kind about the people he works with. The way we speak about people who we work with is important. It says something about us and how we treat people. Hospitality is a way of opening up our homes and giving what God has given us to others. I know that I've had my own experience over many years of travelling from church to church and visiting uh, different countries and different churches. I have been looked after and cared for by so many wonderful brothers and sisters who have opened up their homes, who have made me feel welcome, who have taken me to restaurants and put me up in their spare room or or put me up in a, a local hotel and have cared for me and looked after me and provided for me for no other reason than I love Jesus and they love Jesus and we want to work together to see his message of good news shared across the world. And we do that through hospitality, through being kind to one another. And Paul is saying, if Mark comes by, make sure you look after him as you would anyone else. Verse 12, we carry on there with Epaphras. Epaphras, which we mentioned him before, he's a member of your own fellowship. He's from Colossae, he's from this church, and he's a servant of Christ Jesus. And he sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you and he asks God to make you strong and, wait for it, perfect. That was his prayer, to make you strong and perfect, fully confident you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Odysseus and Heropolis. Epaphras, Epaphras is this Um, guy who actually went on to become a bishop of that region, the region of Colossae, but he was known for his prayers for the people of that region. 
And we want our bishops and our overseers. And when they say bishops, it's like a church leader who's overseeing more than one church, who has multiple church is under his care or her care. And so a bishop is somebody who has multiple uh, communities under their care. And it's so important they are praying for their church communities, to pray earnestly, to ask God to make you strong and perfect, confident of following God's will. Earlier this week, I, we did a day away with my leadership team from the church. We met at the start of the day with our oversight team. And our oversight team are, are wise men and women of God who love God and love the church family. And it was so good to spend the first part of the day. Yes, we were sitting in the sunshine. Yes, we did have some coffee. And it was nice to be in person, but apart from each other. But we prayed for the church community. We prayed Maybe I don't think we prayed those words that we would be strong and perfect, but what a great prayer that we'd be confident in knowing and following God's will. We prayed for the church and it's so important that if you are called to lead the church, to oversee the church, to have responsibility in the church, that we should be praying for the people in our care, to encourage one another, to pray earnestly, to pray strength that the church would flourish in this time of isolation. And then verse 14, uh, he mentions a name that you may recognise, Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings. And so does Demas. Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her, her house. Luke, the doctor, um, was the guy who wrote the book of Acts and the book of Luke, two very substantial books in the New Testament paid for by his wealthy benefactor, Theophilus. He was known for his clear understanding uh, of the facts in those books. Somebody who took time and painstakingly wrote so much stuff down that we have benefited from through centuries. And he was a peer of Paul's. Amazing, isn't it? Those two guys between them wrote pretty much all of the New Testament. I mean, such significant people to be in relationship with each other. And then he carries on in verse 16. After you have read this letter. Pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them. And say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. And I read this when I was preparing earlier today. I just thought that's such an important thing to pass it on these letters that Paul wrote would have been read out loud and then passed on to another church, another congregation, another location to be read to and to encourage them there. But I want to encourage you, if you're listening or watching today, to pass this on. If you've heard the message of Jesus Christ, pass it on. When people look you in the eye and you look them in the eye, say, be sure to pass it on. Be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Discipleship is all about imitating and passing it on. You're here because somebody else passed it on to you. You're here because a parent, a sibling, a friend, an uncle, an auntie, a granddad, a Sunday school teacher, a church leader, a work colleague, somebody passed it on to you and somebody passed it on to them. We are all here because somebody passed it on. Who are you passing on? the message of the cross, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Who are you passing it on to? Paul is saying as he brings this letter to an end, make sure it doesn't just get folded up and put in a drawer somewhere. Pass it on. 
take it to Laodicea. I wrote them a letter as well. Uh, get hold of that, read that letter as well. Make sure you pass it on. And then verse 18, as we finish up these last two lines here, and uh, in capital letters in my Bible, it just says, here is my greeting in my own handwriting, dash Paul. Um, and then it finally says, remember my chains, may God's grace be with you. Paul would have dictated his letters. He wouldn't have written them by hand. He would have had a scribe come into his, uh, his house and he would have he would have dictated the letters. They would have written them and rewritten them and drafted them and redrafted them. There weren't computers and there weren't tipex. It was just like he had to rewrite it and rewrite it. And um, he would have got to the point where it would have been succinct, which is why his letters are so rich and they're so deep and there's so much in them because this letter would have been written and rewritten by someone else. But at the end, he goes, and just in case you weren't sure, this is definitely my work. This is my handwriting and he signs it Paul it's like this is my little kind of autograph it's official rubber stamped final comment remember my chains I bring it to an end now it really is me remember I'm locked up here may God's grace be with you whatever your story whatever your circumstances may God's grace be with you today this whole book of Colossians is a beautiful reminder that Jesus is at the centre of everything we do. That it's about thanksgiving and thanks living, living out, not just giving out, but living out the word of Jesus. That our human existence is here because of Jesus and nothing that we do is untouched by his love or his liberating rule. We're invited to live in the present as if the new creation had arrived when Jesus rose from the dead and we bring that future hope into the present today. So as we wrap up this chapter, this book, the third prison letter, the book of Colossians, we can learn that people are so important. That's why everyone gets a mention in Paul's letter there. How we treat people is so important. It is always about others. Devote yourself to a life for others. And I'll give you four things this week, a little bonus one for you. Uh, four things to do for others. Number one, we looked at pray for others. Colossians 4 reminds us to pray for others, to write a list, to devote yourself to praying for others. Make a list and make an intention to regularly pray for others. Secondly, provide for others to be hospitable, to be generous, to be giving, to be kind, to be thoughtful, to be uh, wise towards others. Provide for them. Provide for others. Devote yourself to providing for others. Praise others. Number three, praise others. Encourage people, exhort people, bring the best out of them. Uh, make sure you lift people up, that when you come into the room, you light the place up, you don't damp the place down, that you bring the best out of people and look people in the eye and say be sure to carry out the ministry that God has given you to do invest in those around you make them glad that you are there and lastly devote yourself to passing it on to others pass it on pass it on be a disciple that makes disciples that makes disciples that makes disciples let nothing stop with us may it carry on generation after generation Let's pray. 
Father God, I thank you for this book of Colossians. I thank you for all the names that are mentioned in this chapter four. I pray for all those who are watching today, for those others in their lives. May they bring life into their homes, bring life into their workplaces, bring life into their schools, relationships, interactions, online and offline. I pray that all times for all the saints, that they would look for opportunities to be generous, to be able to be kind, to be thoughtful, hospitable to others, to encourage and praise the people they come into contact with, to move them forward in their lives as they pass it on and pass it on and pass it on. Amen. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time for the very last session of Flourishing in Isolation. Thank you. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.